All right, Jacob, I have a question for you and only for you. How is it that you can connect to students that I cannot (laughs) seem to touch? I've got some students, Jacob, that are awesome, except they don't like me, but they love you. As a matter of fact, Jacob, I was told the other day that I was a zombie in their life. Thank you for the zombie idea. Go ahead, Jacob. Tell us how you connect. What is it that you do to connect to kids? Hang on. We have to be fair to this entire story because... Oh, okay. You're saying I'm a fair. No. Well, first of all, (laughs) the same story that calls you a zombie calls me what? Easy. Yeah. (laughs) They don't even have me as a teacher. Oh, well, that's just their perception. Uh Uh-huh. So but now you do connect to kids and let's talk about that. How do you go about doing that? Yeah. I mean, if you, if we go back to my first year that I've documented well in a book, in a pot, in several podcasts on guest podcasts and all kinds of stuff, my first year was a, tr- I was a horrible teacher. I didn't know what I was doing for people that don't know how I got hired. It is quite the story, but I'd never stepped foot in a classroom until day one with eighth graders, right? First time I even saw eighth graders was at Meet the Teacher, right? I, like I had never even been around that many humans, but even then, right? So I remember my co-partner, who is the the main reason why I survived, her and her husband, ironically enough, uh, I remember we were doing Meet the Teacher, and they were like, are you okay? Do you know what you're doing? And I was like, yeah, I got it. I, I, I think I got it, right? And I have like – I don't even know. I don't even think I handed out anything. I think I had a sign-in sheet because they told me I should have that. And then uh, from there, like I had some music playing. I've always had music. That's always been a thing. So I had like you know Michael Jackson or whatever just playing in the background. And I had these kids come in and some parents, and you know what happened? Literally, I remember the two boys. I still am in communication with one of them. He has graduated now from high school. He's he's been graduated for like two years now. I follow him on Instagram, and he we've kind of just like stayed in contact once he graduated. And the other one, I'm I'm not in contact with. But these two boys came in there, and they met me, and they're like, "Oh, you're cool, Mr. Chastain." And they sat, and they didn't leave the entire time of meet the teacher. They just like hung out and made jokes and like introduced me to the kids. Like when they would walk in like, Oh yeah, this is so-and-so. And they kind of like walked me through that. And as a new teacher, I'm really not sure who these kids are. I'm just excited that like, Oh yeah, people kind of like me. And then what happens is they start inviting some of their like friends. So eventually I have like 10 students in my room, I mean, the teacher just hanging out in my room and talking with me on this. I don't know what I'm doing. And my co-partner looks in. We had a we were in a portable, and she opens the door and just peeks in and just kind of looks at me. And I'm like, Yeah, I just kind of give her the shrug, and I'm like, I don't know. I you know, it's just one of those things. So uh that, that was one of like that was like my first moment of going, okay. I don't know what it is, but the, I have – I got – I don't know if it's good or bad, but I got something that makes kids, like, feel comfortable enough to, like, want to hang out in my space, in my classroom, et cetera, et cetera. So fast forward, uh, one of those kids ends up being my first horror story in terms of, like, a an, an, <laughs> of a 
um, uh, what's it called? An observation. So it's one of, we did these observations uh, under this principle where like 10 people walked in. Oh, yeah, the instructional rounds. Yeah, right. And I'm a brand new <laughs> teacher. I don't know what's happening, right? But I have like 10 people in my classroom. And this kid, he's, I'll never forget his name. I won't put him on blast on the podcast, but I'll, I know his name clearly first and last. He's sitting there and he's a, he's a fairly large kid, fairly large eighth grader. And we have these like little desks and this is back when, you know, we didn't have a new school and all these new desks. So everything's falling apart. And he's, I'm trying to turn around, I'm like, turn around, right? Let's call him Joe. I'm like, Joe, turn around. And he turns around and like, put your knees under your desk. And he puts his knees under it and he can't fit. So the desk is just sitting on him. And so when that happens, the pole of the desk falls out and then it rolls across onto it. And so in the middle of like 10 people in my room, I'm a brand new teacher. (laughs) This thing just goes. Because it's like a hollow floor. And all of this is happening with all these people in here. And I'm just like. Okay. So, right, this is one of the kids who attached themselves to me and his friends and everything else. And I don't, here's, here's, so this is a long way to get to my answer. And my answer is, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I think it has, I think the, the age has something to do with it. But I also think that, like, I was that kid. I was the kids that caused problems, right? I was the kid who, was likable despite the fact that I did very little work and I kind of pushed buttons, right? Like I, I specifically remember like in math because I was horrible at math. I often made jokes in math or found ways to distract myself in math or something like that. A lot of my math teachers liked me, right? Like I didn't get in trouble often. I only got sent to the principal one time in my entire schooling career and it was because I wouldn't stand for the pledge as a high school student and this really offended my uh, business teacher at the time. Uh, but like I never got in trouble. I didn't get referrals. I think my science teacher in middle school gave me one, maybe it was high school, and they gave me one D hall. And then when I went to D hall, because I was so curious, I started asking about all the science stuff. Then she was like, you know, we learned this in class if you would just do the work. And then I never had a D hall again because she realized I wasn't being interred. Anyway, so when I'm talking like to kids, I think they, there's like a kinship. You know what I mean? Like, I think there really is like this unspoken, you could call it spiritual, you could call it some type of connection, but it's like they see me and they're like, oh, I I get it. Like they understand. And like even kids who, like I've had uh, times where like a teacher is having a problem and they're like, hey, Chastain, can you come help? Or if I see like a newer teacher struggling in the hallway, like sometimes I'll stop And like, if I know the kid or maybe sometimes if I don't know the kid and I'll just kind of be a support, um, try not to take power away, but be a support. And like, I've had these conversations with these kids who are at like a level 10, but then after like during it, they'll just start talking to me and they'll have all of these, you know, insights and stuff. It's something that it's a weird knack, I think, but I really do think it comes down to the fact that I was... I was them. And in a lot of instances, I didn't like my home. I wasn't safe at home. I was, I was likable enough, but I still didn't do work. And I often pushed the buttons of people. And so when kids do that, I'm just like, I got you. I know who you are and you're not going to make me mad. You're not going to frustrate me because I understand you. And I think like eventually once they make that connection, they just don't leave me alone, unfortunately. And then I have all of these humans just following me around and they write, they tell people that I have easy work in my classroom, even though they're not in my classroom and all the other rest. So I don't know. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's what I got. Well, whether it's answered or not, welcome to Craft and Draft. <laughs> 
This is that is Jacob Chastain and I'm Pam Ochoa. And what are we talking about today, Jacob? We are talking about something that was actually inspired by a question we got um, a few weeks ago. Oh, that's right. That's right. It, I'm not going to read the question directly because it wasn't necessarily for Craft and Draft. It was, um, and I, I don't know, so I don't know if they really wanted their name out there, but it was someone who had sent me a message um, through the Teach Me Teacher Facebook page. And they had asked, how do I get all my lessons? They go, "Where? what's my resource? Where do I get my lessons from? And my response was, I make them. And it was, you know, it was one of those moments where, like, I've been asked that question several times over the course of the last several years. And I just thought it would be interesting to really talk about lessons. Where do we get them, so to speak? What happens? How do we... Uh, make these like where, where, where do we build them from how do we build them from scratch because the more i'm asked this question the more i'm like I'm, i think a lot of people get their lessons from places so that's what we're going to dive into today ladies and gentlemen that's pamela cho i'm jacob chastain this is craft the draft and we're talking about how to craft a lesson maybe we'll see how far we get in this conversation <laughs> i don't know have you ever have you had people ask you that question? Where do you get mm-hmm. your lessons from? What what is so what do you assume that means from from someone who's asking that type of question? Like I I have never asked that question. Like <laughs> I just assume that who whatever lesson I'm watching that someone just made it, but the the more I kind of hear people, the more I think that a lot of people just get like they get lessons online. I don't want to diminish that. I don't think that's a bad thing, but it's it's something that's kind of foreign to me, so to speak. So, I mean, when people ask you, like, what have, what has been your responses during questions like that? Well, I mean, I th- I think you're right. I, I've never been one to just go get somebody's lesson and do it, but I do have strategies and stuff that I use that I get from other people. So I don't know if I, I create, I don't create strategies a lot of times. I'll use strategies, but I design my own lessons. So that might be an interesting distinction, right, mm-hmm. is uh, between the strategy and the lesson. So in your head then, because uh, that that's true, right? I think every strategy I have, like there's very, there's a few that I've kind of quote unquote invented on my own, but. I'd say 95% of the strategies I use come from a book or a teacher or a training or something mm-hmm. that I've done. So what is, in your head, what is the differentiator between the lesson and the strategy being employed? Because this might be a good distinction that might not be made all the time in PD. So how do you, how do you split those up? Well, to me, um, a strategy is something that's, you know, kind of a, I don't know, all of a sudden what popped into my head is let's just think about an hour. And in that hour, you have a whole hour, but within that hour, you have minutes and you have seconds. And so to me, a strategy would be a minute inside that hour. The whole hour would be the lesson. So I think when you're, when I'm looking for, for a lesson, I always start with the standard. I have to figure out what it is that I have my goal. What is it that at the end of this lesson, what do the kids have to be able to do? And so from there, I start looking for strategies that will help me make that happen. Um, I'll start off maybe with a question. A lot of times I have a question in my head that I want them to be able to answer, but it's usually a broad open-ended, like an exploration type idea. 
And then, um, but yeah, for the most part, I put all of that together and I created, I think to me, it's, it's got to flow. I don't think you need to have, I don't like to add anything in there that doesn't flow with the whole idea of that day. So I'm not one, I don't skip around a lot. I mean, if I decide on summary, for example, the other day, you know, cause I was kind of low on summary on that one uh, test that we did and by golly, and not again. So, <laughs> but when, you know, to be able to summarize, I did everything, including the writing, everything I did that day had to do with summary. So it, it all somehow spun back up with summary and synthesis. So I picked like one or two things that I really want to make sure I hone in on. And then we spend that whole day, even when they're doing their SSR, I might have them follow up, give me a summary of what you read today. They have to write that in. And so even from their SSR responses, a lot of that goes with the entire lesson. So, you know, it's, I mean, it really, it's funny because so much of craft and draft is obviously us, but when, I, you know, when we think mm-hmm. about like the, like I've even started like in my classroom, I use, obviously we use the, the journals, but I've been using like these terms, you know, like we're studying the craft, you know, okay, we're, we're drafting. How is your draft going? You know, using those phrases. And when you were talking there, I was like, you know, it is like when we like sit down, whether we're talking about plans in general or we're planning as a team or we're just kind of trading what we're doing together because we're all kind of at a different spot. We do have this, the, the, the constant, one thing I think is common amongst just the team of us, you know, you and I and our partner who mm-hmm. we're still trying to get on this podcast, but yes, the, we do, we ask her, we do, we do, but the, the weaving, right. It's the, the weaving of reading and writing mm-hmm. together. And it's like, okay, so if we're, you know, you take a test, kids are low on summary. Awesome. Now we're going to do that in the lesson. We're going to do that in our independent reading. We're going to do it in our writing. And then we maybe analyze one. We maybe craft one. We maybe answer a question with something. But it weaves into, you take an hour, it's weaved into several different perspectives, right? And that might be split up amongst a day, you know, a week or whatever, depending on Mm -hmm. how you're planning stuff. But this constant like taking, uh, it's like grabbing a thread and just taking it through all of the different processes. And I think that's what we've... I think that's like the language that we kind of work with. And then the lesson gets quote unquote crafted beyond that. Right. It's like a, mm-hmm. it's like shooting an, like a, well, shooting an arrow might not be the right metaphor, but it's like a, a line being drawn and like a, a timeline almost. And then, you know, on each section, it's like, okay, this happens here. This happens next. This happens next. But throughout the whole thread is the standard or the concept or the skill that you're trying to get through. I don't know. Does that, do you see that the way I'm seeing it? Yeah, I think so. Like, um, but going back to that summary lesson that I did, uh, I wanted them to, so the way, the way I started it, is we do usually 10 minutes of reading. That's what I've done this year. And uh, so, and it's not just a strict 10 minutes. I just want to make that clear. I'm not that strict. So if it goes 15 minutes, I don't really Boy, do we know that. For people, yeah, hang on, it. we got to double down on that <laughs> fact so people understand who Ochoa it's... is. Because you are the queen, and I mean that in all of its compliments of – 
you just feel a class and you're like, this is where we're at. And so like, there's days where you walk into our uh, PLC and you're like, yeah, we, they were really loving reading. So we read for 45 minutes. (laughs) 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 Or like, you know, they were like, yeah, we started writing and they just wanted to keep going. So we just went and I'll just just finish the lesson tomorrow. So you, when you say you're not strict, I think in terms of (laughs) your parameters, you are the widest out of all three of us, which is hilarious. So continue. Sorry. I just wanted to double down on that. So people, well, which is amazing on how I don't get anything done. I mean, I do get, I do get to the end. You get quite a bit done considering you're very flexible with that time. Yeah. I am flexible at the time. So that's, that's what's different about me than others. But within that time, I watch it. But when I'm planning that lesson this summer, I knew we, I knew I had to get them to do that. That was their lowest area. So, so we started with the reading around around ten minutes, and then they had to summarize what they read, and then they shared their summaries with each other. Okay, but briefly before I had them do the summary, I told them. What is a summary? And I made that we defined summary. We talked about it for just about maybe two minutes at the most. And then I said, okay, summarize. So they did that. Okay, then um, we read an article because we were doing informational text. And then I showed them a summary question. And then we talked about the strategy on beginning, middle, end, and how to how to diagram that to find the right answer to help them. So I did that. And then... Their writing that day is, I was at a point where I wanted them to share their writing because they've been working on papers. They've been working on their writing. And so this time it's now about time they they all have something. So they brought something to their group and they had to share. And then uh, out of Avidos, there was a strategy for sharing called summarizing. So I used that. So the students had to find the main idea and write down what they think the main idea or the controlling idea of the paper was that that, like, if you were sharing your paper with me, I would write down what I thought your main idea is. And I would put that in a sentence, and then I would summarize my sentence in one one word, then I would find a synonym in one word. So now we're working on synthesis and summary, and then we would share it. And then we would come back, and I would tie it all together in a nice little debrief bow, so to speak. And that's what I did that day. And it was all summary. The whole day was summary, but I knew some things I had to get done. I wanted the students to share because that's where we were in the process. I believe that they need to share and they need to give feedback to each other. It's also one of our standards is to be able to accept feedback. So I I hit several things with that one thing, but my main goal there was summarizing. Sometimes it's genre. It could be genre-based. I don't always pick a skill. Sometimes it could be a concept or genre-based or something like that. You know, I I think that's an interesting thing to unpack for a second is this the idea that you hit multiple things within something, but you still have a main focus. And this is something that one of our new teachers that we had last year because of the way we had some digital classes and some mm-hmm. in-person classes last year. We're all in person now for people that don't know. But last year we had some kids still at home. So a lot of us had like an online block or et cetera, et cetera. So we had a lot of time to kind of plan and talk through things with this new teacher of mine. And one of the things that I tried to instill in her early was you can hit 
real. I mean, you like tons of different concepts in one lesson, but your primary focus needs to be very clear because a mini lesson does need to be, you know, mini, right? If you're, it, it does need to be focused on some, otherwise you're going to kind of lose this stuff. But, you know, if you're reading something and you're talking about, uh, I don't know, main idea or let's say conflict or something like that, but there's a line of figurative language that you want to hit on. You want to point out that it's metaphor. You can hit on that. It doesn't mean that your lesson needs to be entirely about those things, but I think that's a, when I like look at something, sometimes I plan for that stuff and sometimes I don't like, uh, I usually typically like I start with a standard and then I go, okay, so what's a piece that kind of connects to this specific thing. And then once I find it, I kind of break it down and I look at it and I go, what are kind of all the teaching points that I see? And then I figure out kind of what I, I pre-plan for my questions and kind of where I want the focus to be, so to speak. But in the middle of teaching, you know, sometimes like the caffeine hits and I guide and just like, yes, right here. What's this? Right. And like we will dive into uh, a random thing, which is why I keep three different craft books with my students, because sometimes my lessons really do change, not entirely, but we'll have different conversations based on the class. And it's because some classes go faster, like Mm -hmm. my morning block. They're a hot mess sometimes, and we just, you know, (laughs) sometimes it's just a a gift that we've made it through the lesson without stumbling too much. My morning block, they're really great, but they they have a lot of fun discussing stuff. Then my afternoon block is kind of like a catch-22. It's like you never really know what's going to happen. Sometimes it's like we can have more conversations, but we lose time because of it. So because of all of that, I have three craft books with each class, and... We hit on some various different things. Now, I don't, I don't really limit myself to uh, like I don't like freak out about that stuff. I think that's the fun part of teaching. And I just kind of because I have the three craft books, I just like look back and I just change where I'm at. And then I know, like you know, if we touched on metaphor, for instance, and I'm not really going to teach about figurative language for another two weeks, I just make a note of it and kind of move on. But that's, I don't know. Like, so in, in terms, I'm going to kind of wrap this back around cause that was kind of a tangent, but in terms of lesson design, I, I just kind of said like, I go standard piece. And then from there we go from what are we analyzing in the piece? And then how does this connect to our writing? What is your, uh, kind of your process through that? Because honestly, like strategy is like the last thing, I think about almost because I, I I probably use less strategies than everyone on the team. I feel like I, cause my, I have some strategies. I'm not like just like shunning them, but I feel like I don't implement it until the end. What's, what's your kind of series of thinking through this? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I was, when I first started teaching, we all had to do Madeline Hunter and they told us exactly what you had to do. So they told you your What's lesson that? design. I've never even oh, you don't, y'all don't know. Okay. Well, Madeline Hunter, some, us, please. So, some people may know that, but Madeline Hunter was a, was an educator. And then she created this system, this lesson design system. And it started with a focus activity or an anticipatory set is what she called it. If you want to be mm, familiar, you know, I've heard that. but uh-huh. and then it was um, guided practice 
Uh, and it was like, you know, direct instruct and then guided practice and then independent practice. And then, you know, so, so it kind of came with this design. And then of course, um, so sometimes that, because that's how I learned to create lessons, that's probably the way I formulate some of my lessons just naturally. But, uh, but then they start, started working with, I do, you do, we do kind of thing or we do, you do, I do, whatever. And so, uh, or another one is to model and then they do it, you know, that kind of thing. So I do think there is something in that in scaffolding when you're, when you're dealing with like Lev Vygotsky, who said that what they can do together today, they can do alone tomorrow. And so keeping that in mind, I want to do, what can I do to model? So I like to model for them. And then I like to get them to do it on their own. And sometimes I release them too early. Sometimes I keep them too long. So I have to kind of monitor that. So with all of that said on strategies, I, I really have to look at the standard and look at what we what we do. And then I've got to, and, and because I have trained teachers in writing workshop and reading workshops so long, I have a lot of strategies that are just uh, inside, if you will. And, and they are a part of me and they just, I don't even have to write it all down and it just happens. So I've got them so internalized now that, that I can even, I, one year I had, I had like five different subjects, right? So to create my lessons, what I would do is I would have these big, huge, cause I couldn't remember what I was doing. So I had these big, huge notepads, you know, way before we had PowerPoints and all this stuff, I had all these notepads, Right. And I had five of them because I had five different topics, five different subjects. I mean, five different subjects and grade levels. So what I did is I kept the strategy the same. So when I was teaching science, if we were doing a gallery walk, we did a gallery walk in every subject because then I at least knew I was doing a gallery walk all day long. So I would take that same strategy and I would apply it to all my subjects, but I would get my, my, my big, huge paper there. And I'd lay it all out during my conference period. And I would do, okay, my main question for the day. And I'd write that down. Okay. Next thing we're going to do, I need to have a strategy for them to, and then I would lay it all down and then, okay, how, you know, we're going to do that gallery walk. What are we going to do it on? And I would, so I would do all of my lessons at one time, but I would organize it in such a way that we all did the same strategy, but the content was different. So, and they always had reading time and they always had writing time. I've always, no matter what subject I've taught, there's always reading time and writing time. Reading time might be in like the geographic, their geography book, but their writing time would be a response to any kind of geographic questions that they had when I taught geography. So always did that. And then a debrief time. So, you know. I don't know if that answered your question, but that's what was in my head. It does. I, and I actually found it really fascinating to see how, like, I can still see those threads, like when we talk about, you know, plans today or how you go through some stuff. And it's funny how some of that stuff sticks. And like you said, I don't, what was the name you said again? Uh, Madeline Hunter. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't, I mean, I'm sure I've heard that before. I mean, I'm sure uh-huh. you've said it before, but I, uh, I, but I, even though I don't really know 
who she is or her name. Like I've heard that planning process several times and I've heard mm-hmm. like the, the variations of it, which is pretty fascinating. I love those lineages. I think they're really fascinating. I think that's why we, you and I love referencing kind of, you know, where things start and come from just right. you know, it's, like I, I've made this connection before. It's kind of like Buddhism. Like, you know, everyone has like their master and like, you know, you just kind of, <laughs> you just kind of go from person to person. Yeah, It's yeah, really interesting. It's, yeah. it, 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 I, I do love that. But, um, one thing I wanted to point out was I, here, here's something that's evolved in my teaching. And this okay. is something that I tried to articulate in Rightfully Empowered. I really do apologize for keep mentioning that book, but for people that don't know the, it's coming close to publishing. So it's on the top of my mind. So I'm not, I'm not being selfish. It's just what's in my brain right now. And it's so funny because for anyone that's ever written, a book or written about their ideas or whatever, like you write something and then you send it away and then you don't see it for a long time. Then it comes back and you're like, Oh, I did say this, <laughs> you know, and then you start <laughs> tightening it up. And over time it's like, man, this is, I really love this, but it, it becomes something that you, it's like rediscovering when you read your own writing. Cause it's like a, a solidification of kind of what you think. And th- one thing I realized in the final edits of the book is, um, this concept of, I, I spend so much time letting students dive into their, their reading and writing alone. You know what I mean? So when I, I, I feel like I've, I've struggled with planning with teachers who hyper-focus on task, right? Like we just had a, a, a department chair meeting this last Friday and we were talking, I was expressing frustrations about a specific thing that was being asked of our department and everyone around the table, they're all great teachers. They're all DCs. I've worked with everyone at that table for, well, one of them, not so long, but the majority of them I've been around for several years at this point. I think they're all fantastic teachers, but they were struggling with communicating to me because I was like, no, this doesn't fit in workshop. This does not connect to what I'm doing. And they're like, well, why? And I was like, like, why can't you just fit this in here? And I'm like, because I don't, my lesson isn't a set of tasks, right? right? It's it's more like concepts and going through those concepts and practicing those concepts. I was like, I rarely assign anything. No piece, the, the only thing I assign necessarily are reviews because we have to get through them and deadlines of when they need to complete stuff. Other than that, I really don't have assignments in my class anymore. I don't say, I'm going to hand you this, complete it, and turn it into me. That concept doesn't exist in my classroom. And it was hard to communicate that. And, but what's funny is I don't. I was thinking, I was reflecting on this this conversation and reflecting on how I've evolved from then because I, you, I 100%, I was the opposite, not that long ago where there was, uh, you know, we, I would just hear, here's this passage. Here's these questions. You answer them, you turn them in. That's your reading work for today. And that just doesn't exist in my class anymore. And I don't, that, that is such a hard thing. I think I, cause I feel like so much of education um, is focused on task oriented things. What 
And and I, when I say task oriented, I'm not, obviously like I want students to do things. I want them to take our mini lessons and apply them in their writing and apply them in their reading. I'm, I'm not talking to task in that sense. I'm talking task is in I assign you do I grade right in in the most mm-hmm. binary form of that kind of three step equation. And I don't know. Like I don't I don't know when that shifted. I'm happy it shifted because I like my class a lot more and I think a lot of my students learn more this way um because it empowers them to take control of their learning. It empowers their independent choices. It it allows me to differentiate on a different level because I'm meeting with them in conferences and reading and writing and that's that's causing a lot of those shifts to be better, but that, that concept of shifting away from task, right? Shifting away from I assign, you do, I grade was something that happened gradually. But once it did, like, I never want to go back to that. So I, I almost have a, a hostile, some might say reaction when someone tells me to do something that is like that, because I'm like, I don't, I don't want to. I do not feel like it is valid anymore because I have seen the light, so to speak. And, you know, you, Ocho, we've talked about this on the podcast several times. You've seen things come and go. You've seen the best stuff. You've seen the worst stuff. You've been a coach. You've been a teacher. You've taught all GT. You've taught on level. You've taught 900 preps in one year. You've done it all. You literally have. <laughs> as a matter of a fact, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I do believe that when you were talking about uh, your appraisal this year, they asked, what did you want to work on? You're like, well, I've worked on it all. So let's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I did say that. I'm like, after 35 years, I'm not sure what I can improve and at this here's- point. Here's the thing, right? I'm sure there's something. I know. I feel like sometimes I get excited about things and you're like, oh, Chastain, I've been there. You'll, you'll come around, you know, you know what I mean? Like you're, you know, you're, you're my humble guide. That's like, I've been there, but I'm excited for you. I'm here. I'm here for the (laughs) ride sometimes. And I appreciate your camaraderie and that, but in terms of like moving away from like the pure, like this is your assignment, go do it. Do you remember when that evolved for you? Because it was, I mean, I remember the origins of this. I talked about this with my uh, first literacy coach I ever had. We were sitting together and we were talking about how she was trying, she was just introducing me to Donald Miller and Kelly Gallagher and all of them. And she was like, I think you'll like this from what you're saying. You want kids to read more and write more, but you're assigning too much. And I was like, yes. So I remember like the origins of it. Do you remember that, that transition from assignments to this, this workshop minded, uh, work that you've done? Like when, when was that and how was that shift for you? Uh, between 1992 and 1993. She's got dates, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> 1994. Doesn't surprise I became me. the odd man out. Do what? I said, doesn't surprise me that you have a date. It is. You know, it's funny. It is an odd man out thing. It really is. Like uh-huh. when you go through that, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. and then everyone else is doing this. And you're like, well, I guess I'm just going to be weird then. Yeah. I mean, I have been ostracized at some points throughout the year years. But, um, yeah, no, I, th- it's, uh, most of it was when I had that, uh, the three week training that I now do the training for. And when I think that's when I became a teacher, uh, I, they taught us workshop. They taught us actually the process, uh, 
writing process and how to actually get students to write. Uh, they transformed, literally transformed my life. And that was, I, I got to give credit to Dr. Carol, uh, Joyce Carroll and her husband, Eddie Wilson. Uh, they, and then the the four trainers that trained me and some of them are no longer with us because uh, I've been around for a while and they were already older. Uh, but anyway, uh, I would say that they they showed us and and I think where the change happened is they actually took time three weeks out of the summer. I was told that I had to take it if I wanted to get out of coaching and I needed to get out of coaching. When I say coaching, I'm talking about basketball and volleyball, but I, I my aspirations were to be a volleyball coach. But when you become a single mom, sometimes you have to make decisions. And so my um my principal told me I had to take this course. And so I did, and I've just fell in love with it. And apparently they saw something in me and they asked me to be a trainer the next year and paid for me to be a, become a trainer. So I think once I actually became a trainer and I actually started teaching it was when it, a true transformation happened. But it's all about the process. It's all about choice. And so I have guiding principles that when I do create my lessons, I make sure those principles are there. And those principles are, uh, do the students get to have choice? Do they get to choose? Their, and most of my choices within topics, uh, you know, I model certain things. I'm driven by the curriculum. And the, uh, probably in the 90s for me, the curriculum was not as, it was more, it was more genre-based. And so, uh, or skills, I think maybe skills-based with a little bit of genre, but either way it flowed to me, it felt like it flowed a little bit better than it does now. Uh, but at the same time, I know that I've always been kind of trapped a little bit by the curriculum. And sometimes I felt trapped by the people that are in charge of me. And so I've had to figure out ways to work through that and, um, and create my lessons through that. Now, I, um, but the principles, going back to that, Nancy Atwell, her principles are time, ownership, and response. Students have to have time to do the work. They have to be able to own their work and they have to have response to their work. They have to have feedback. I think those three principles are, are prime. I think also, uh, Laura Robb with her read alouds and modeling techniques, uh, back at the time uh, when I first started were very helpful. So that those are the two books that I use. But Dr. Carol, I, I got the opportunity to sit at her feet and uh, so to speak and have her teach us uh, several times, her personally. And she is just a master teacher. And one of the things that she is able to do is bring the wonders down, you know, the stuff that you can't really understand and bring it down and make it more concrete. And she said, that is what real teachers do is they take the wonders and they bring them down to their students. And however you choose to do that is what you need to do. But I do think when you're doing canned lessons and what I mean by canned lessons, somebody else's lesson that's not inspired by you or your students or your data or your curriculum, I think sometimes you might lose some of that. So uh, I don't know. I just, I don't know if that was helpful to anybody. I hope it was, but that's when I changed and uh, I have not really looked back 
sense. And when people try to force me into doing something, oh, I, I start, that's when I, I start to panic. But you I know, figured it out. We need, that story needs to be in our book, by the way. I don't know if you've written it in the draft already, but that needs to be in there because it's a powerful story. But Mm -hmm. I I think this, and this is, I think, the heart of where this conversation should go is, you know, the reason, I have a reason why I don't use a lot of other people's lessons because I I have an annoying desire to be the first to discover something. So, like... I'll, I'll give you an example. You. I I know anyone who works with me <laughs> understands this, and it's 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 a gift and a curse all at the same time because it makes me incredibly passionate, but it also ruins some things sometimes. Because if I like, if I show my wife a song, for instance, I'm like, I love this song. It's amazing. Check it out. I'll be its biggest champion, and I'll champion it forever. But if she shows me a song and I like it but I didn't discover it. I'll like it less. And that is, that is like, I do it with books. I do it with lessons. I do it with, (laughs) I do it with everything. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a really big problem sometimes because I, it'll, it means I have to consciously be aware. It's like, okay, am I having, am I just annoyed that I didn't discover this or do I really not like it? Right. And so that, that, but here's the thing, the good part about that, it's led me to pursue the, the action of creating lessons from scratch and finding unique ways to approach, uh, the reading and writing process, so to speak, and to bring, bring the, 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 the complex ideas down to my students. It's allowed me to kind of explore and experiment and whatnot. Um, but it it does it it's also led me to push away from certain things and you know I, I think this idea of canned lessons though you know this is I feel like uh, like teachers pay teachers gets a bad rap sometimes I I think that people condemn it more than they should but I also well, feel I- like people support it more than they should. Okay. Because uh, it, they do there's, – there's copywritten stuff on there. Donalyn Miller, Penny Kittle, Kelly Gallagher, all of those people and more have their, their, their ideas stolen uh, and published on there. And Teachers Pay Teachers does a horrible job of taking that stuff down. They really do. I've seen the evidence. It's all on there. They, they, there's tons of Twitter people who make it their job to point this stuff out. And it's ruined a lot of people's perceptions of teachers pay teachers. Now, I have had people on Teach Me Teacher who have defended it. And because it is a good way to make some money for people that can monetize it correctly, you know, they create their, their stuff and they don't want to write books or do PDs, but they would love to create resources for teachers. And it's been very good for people like that. My wife, for instance, has created teachers paid teachers or not created, but she's bought stuff like that. That has really helped her. Fun fact, we have gone to a PD where a teacher had this great resource and she sat with us and we asked her where she got it. And she goes, don't tell anyone this, but I got this from Teachers Pay Teachers, right? Like we've literally had this moment. So it's not all bad. And anyone says they, that it is is lying or they're sitting on some high horse that they don't need to exist True. on. But I think the concept of a stranger making something for their kids – and then me bringing it into my classroom that had the, the, they didn't know my kids, they don't know my dad or anything like that. There is a problem with that process. And I think great educators can take something and 
modify it to fit mm-hmm. what they need to do. I think you can do that, et cetera, et cetera. But there is many people, they will take something and they will say, oh, this is great. I see this. This is what I need. And they'll just give it to their students, not based on data, not based on their information, not based on conferences. And I think that is the pitfall some teachers fall into of uh, these canned, so to speak, lessons of taking something that wasn't made for your kids. It wasn't inspired by your kids and take your kids into concept. They, you know, it, it, it was made by someone who was entrepreneurial enough to make something and put it out there and make money off of it. And we can't subject. Education's too important to give stuff to kids blindly, right? Like we need to really take into consideration the resources that we're using and the the where we're getting them from and why we're doing it in the first place. If you don't have a why, if you don't have a data, a, a data point to point to why you're using something, I think that's a problem. I, I think that's a that's a that's a piece of information that you need and the world is filled with these canned lessons, right? It is. I think it's the greatest fear of curriculum designers is that all of their teachers will just go off and buy these things. And some of them are good and some of them are not. But we have to – I think we have to be aware of those things. I don't know. Is that too much of a soapbox? What do you have to say? No, I mean I – you know, I would take something like that. I'm not saying I've never had anything off of uh, – Teachers pay teachers. I don't. I don't think I've ever bought anything personally, but it's more like what you're talking about. Somebody shared it with me, and then it. So th- I think there are some good things out there. I'm not saying there's not, but and I'm. I'll go and I'll research to get some ideas, but then I turn around and take that idea, and then it doesn't even look like the same thing, you know. So I use other people's ideas to help me uh, create my own idea. A lot of times, most of my lessons. Um, People have a hard time, uh, excuse me, time following me sometimes because I do create my own stuff and um, they're like not really understanding <laughs> where I'm coming from. So my stuff's too hard to follow. <laughs> here's and the I thing. Think I think I, here, this is why like this, uh, there's a bigger conversation about this, but there is like a lot of people in like they're in the Twitter world. They insult like the edu celebrity, so to speak, because they're very popular and they do these things. Those people are great communicators. Like they're they're right. popular because they can communicate well. And I'm not defending whatever they do. I, I'm friends with a lot a lot of quote unquote edu celebrities, but I'm also not like they don't need defending. But the the being able to communicate something effectively is really powerful. And I think a lot of the people that do well on Teachers Pay Teachers or any site like that or Instagram or Twitter, whatever, I think a lot of them communicate their ideas so persuasively and so effectively that a lot of people are like, yes, right? Like there's a world where Craft and Draft uh, attracts enough of an audience where people look at us and they go, oh, they're just, that's just canned stuff. You don't want to use craft and draft, like the craft book and draft book system. It's just something that works for their kids. You don't want to do that, right? I can see that mm-hmm. happening eventually for us. Now, I think we're a little different because we honestly talk through this stuff on a podcast that is very rarely edited. So if anyone wanted to check like our validity or where we come from or the research we have, I think it's easily verifiable. But that's a different conversation. But I'm saying like there is a world where we will be judged on these 
aspects. Um, and, and so I try not to jump to judgment, but when teachers, I think when teachers are planning things, when they're trying to craft lessons that are useful, and if they're trying to get resources from somewhere else, you know, you have to ask, what do your kids need to know? Why is this good? What do they need? And and what do they need to move forward? And how are you going to know that they know it afterwards? Right? Like, it's kind of like the key mm-hmm. lesson planning, uh, the, the process. Well, and you, you hit on something earlier too, and that is, does it fit your own personality? Does it fit your own style? Because if you're trying to push put you in a box. There's no box for you. I can tell you that right now. So the whole thing is, is, is people try to force you into corners that you really don't fit in. And I think that happens to a lot of teachers. And so I think as a result, we get confused and we're like, okay, but this doesn't fit how I want to do this. And it's, it's really is a struggle and it can be a, a huge struggle depending on, you know, your situation and, uh, what I mean by situation is the curriculum you're under, the supervisors you might be under, and, and their own beliefs. Because you have to, you have to fit your belief somehow inside that if you're going to make it a little bit easier. So it's kind of kind of difficult. So I've had a few rocky roads here and there because I've I've I already gave you all my principles earlier, and by sitting on those principles, especially back in the '90s uh 80s and 90s that that was all coming around and starting to get kind of big and there were a lot of people that were no you don't it was textbook now if i say i don't mind using the textbook or something like that then i i get shunned you know it's it's now t- twisted right a little bit it's not the same at all the way it used to be so i don't know i i just think you have to know your kids i think you need to know your curriculum i think and you know cuz you have to you are an employee we are. We're an employee of our district. So we have to honor our district. But yet at the same time, we've got to mitigate what the district wants us to do for our students in such a way that the students have that workshop experience, which is the ownership, the time to write, um, those types of things. I mean, they need to be advocated for as well. And I, I think that's probably the best way to close out the conversation is you know, I'm believe it or not, Miss Ochoa, I have been called a rebel in our district more really? than once. Believe it or not. <laughs> well, uh, and I, you know, what's funny is, and I, I feel like I can tell this story because the person is no longer in the district. So I'm not going to name names. But when I was going to be hired as the literacy coach where you and I work together, the principal of this campus was told that I was too much of a rebel. I'd be a horrible coach. This is why she hired me, by the way. She was like, sweet, I want this person on campus. But I found it so interesting that I I really uh, – some of the stuff that I'm, I'm re- called a rebel for is some of the most practical parts of what's built into our district, right? And I think it took a long time – I think that that reputation has changed a little bit because people realize that I'm I'm doing what the district wants. I might push back on some smaller things, right? And so I've had I've had that 
reputation. And I think it's because I'm loud and I speak and, you know, I, I am, I'm going to speak my mind in meetings and whatnot, but I, it's a delicate balance because here's the thing. I do love our district. I love, I, I, I love our leadership. I love the, mm-hmm. the, our, I love our, our ELA framework. I think it's fantastic. I think it's well conceived. You were a part of that process that conceived that your name is on the document. It I, is. I, I, I support <laughs> it. It talks about workshop. It does all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky to be in that situation, but there, you know, at, at times there are decisions that are made, whether it's from a principal or a district person or whatever, it comes down the pipe. And I'm like, I do not feel like this is right for students. I don't feel like it's right for this. And, you know, I have reasons and sometimes I'm forced to do things and sometimes I'm not. And I play that game a little bit, but it's also like you said, like there's, there's a responsibility to your district to do. I I think we also owe it to our leadership to try what they want because they're in a position that is they, they got there for a reason, right? Like Mm -hmm. when theoretically, when I'm at a spot like that, I want people to trust me enough to at least try what I'm, I want them to do. Cause I've been in situations where I try to encourage someone to do something and they go, no. Right. (laughs) I've I've had that. And I, I tried to internalize that and go, you know what? I think I remember that day. Yes. (laughs) And so I try to have this perspective of, you know what? I don't know everything. Right. I'm an eight year teacher. I'm 30 years old. I, 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 there's things that I need to go through, et cetera, et cetera. So I need to trust these things, but there's also things that I am very confident in and it, it, you know, it is a balance, but I think as a teacher who I don't think any leader worth their salt, any leader will condemn you for sticking up for your students. Now, not doing something because you're lazy or not doing something because you're just obstinate just to be that or rebellious just to be that is whatever. Like, I think that's why I've been in the same district for so long. Cause even though people have called me rebellious, they can never say I didn't do something because of data or I didn't do something because of research or something like that. I have a reason. I'm not just being a turd. Right. And I, I think that's, that's a fundamental difference because leaders understand that because the best leaders had to be rebellious at some point to become the best leaders. Otherwise you're just repeating the same process. Right. For instance, my, our principal, she is, there's times where she'll look at me and she will let me do what I want to do. And she'll be like, you know what? I support you. You do it. Blah, 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 blah. And there's times where she looks at me and goes, Chastain, we're not going to do that. You got to do this, right? <laughs> there's, and here's the thing though. We have built that rapport. We've built that respect with each other. I, I trust her fully. And I, I, she's not going to misguide me because she has had her fair share of rebellious moments. And I, I feel like, when we're teaching, when we're building the lessons and as we get more comfortable, you start getting confident in things and you just, there is this balancing act of, is this right for my kids? What do my kids need? And it comes down to this concept of what do my kids need? What do they need to know? Where are their skills at? How do I know they're going to know it? How am I going to fix it if they don't know it? That whole concept guides this whole process. And I think if you can do that, it doesn't matter if you're being quote unquote rebellious, doing what the curriculum says, following it directly or going rogue, whatever. I think you're in line with everything. And, and, you know, sometimes leaders don't appreciate that. In that case, I, you know, whatever, I don't have anything to say to those leaders because I don't work for them, but a lot of teachers do. 
Um, in that case, I don't know. Maybe we should do a podcast about working with difficult leaders. But I don't know. We're not. Luckily, we're. I don't we're, know. I don't think we need to do that. I mean, we're really not <laughs> in that situation, though, which is no, amazing. No, not right now. We sure not. I don't know, Cho. Do you have any closing comments on lesson design today? I know we've we've taken a meandering route through this, which I've we greatly have. enjoyed. But any closing concepts, any ideas that we, people should walk away with, other than your yes. cats running around? <laughs> My cat. I don't know. It must be the time. She does this every time. She, I've got this little cat. She's a year old, and then my older cat just watch her watches watches her until he has had enough and then it i did not know that cat was that young i thought both of your cats were older for some reason no i have one that's that older. explains so much <laughs> yes and then i have this young cat that's like look at me so anyway um no my my closing comments if you will on lesson design is i, I just think that you have to model for your students I think that you need to be focused in on a particular, I don't, I don't think you need to be focused in on to where you're doing like, if you will, worksheets and things like that. I mean, your lesson has to be open enough for them to be able to discover and explore within that lesson. And if you go get a lesson from somebody, teacher paid teachers, then really look at it and make sure that it's going to fit you and fit your students and meet the needs of the district. And that's kind of where I'm at with it. Shout out to, I have a lot of Instagram friends who do amazing work on Teachers Pay Teachers. Okay. Um, and they're really good. Like Jennifer Jones or Jen Jones, as she goes on Instagram, like she's one of my favorite literacy people. I've had her on the podcast. She's mm-hmm. a huge, um, she's the one that had me do her keynote for her writers um, that oh, okay. she was training. Mm-hmm. Her stuff is amazing, right? Like, and so, like, there's yeah. people like her who do teachers pay teachers amazing. They do PD, they do all of this. It's all backed by research. They give credit where credit's due. Um, and I, so, th- like, when if it's if I I feel like sometimes I sound too negative on like the stuff that people get. Like, there's great people out there. You just gotta, like you said, be mindful of it. See how it fits the curriculum. See how it fits your kids. And if you're doing, if you're checking all your boxes, then go for it. Like, do live your life. Like, do what you need to do to have mm-hmm. great lessons. But, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Craft the Draft podcast. That's Pamela Cho. I'm Jacob Chastain. We are two seventh grade teachers down here in the state of Texas, living our best lives, doing the craft and draft process in our classrooms. Our kids have craft books. We have draft books. Sure I love do. seeing pictures of everyone that does the craft and draft system. It's really amazing that, what is this, episode 62, I believe, what it'll be. It is, uh, it's It's so cool to see people using this and and listening and just enjoying us talk through these things and have real conversations on this podcast. I tell you it's real. Like if you want if you guys ever think that we're canning something, we literally just turn on the mics and go. <laughs> so we do thank you guys for listening. I think you know we have so much fun doing this show. So we appreciate your support. But if you want to support the podcast more, make sure you subscribe. That way you don't miss any episode. We drop an episode every single Friday. Sometimes it's early, sometimes a little late, but it's going to be on a Friday. It just depends on the schedule. <laughs> depends on who falls asleep first. <laughs> hey, hey, who's falling asleep right in the middle of typing? I That's right. Today. I almost sent everybody just a, a whole page of K's. I don't know why, but that's what I almost sent. 
You know, sometimes I wonder if we should just move it to Saturday. But regardless, it is it regardless. comes it comes out on a Friday currently. So make sure you subscribe to leave it. If you want to support the podcast, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can follow us on Facebook. You can also share this podcast with your PLC, your PLN. Make sure everyone's joining in the writing and reading workshop conversations. You can also hit that star button. Those five stars really do help. It helps us rank with all the other amazing podcasts out there. There are quite a bit of great episodes and people out there doing great work. So hit that star button helps us get there. Also, you can also write a review. It really does help as well. But thank you for listening. That is the best way you can join us, ladies and gentlemen. And know that we are here for you. 